Thank you, Heavenly Father, for each person who is here today and for this opportunity to speak your words. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to receive what you want to say to us. In Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, today, on this uh, second day of Advent, I want us to hear this call to repentance. The call to repent. There's a, a natural resistance that we have to admitting that we're wrong, that we've sinned. Uh, the resistance is rooted in our, in our fallen nature, our, our pride. I don't like it when my wife comes home and says, you said you were going to do the dishes and you didn't do them. I go into defense mode kind of right away naturally. That's kind of an offense to, to the pride. It, 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 I don't like to be called out in wrongdoing. So there's a resistance that we have to, to this. So the call to repentance is, is a hard one to hear. Um, and so not only do we have this sort of natural resistance to the idea that I am wrong and I need forgiveness, but the, the culture doesn't help because the messages of the culture can kind of create a barrier for us to hear this call to repentance, which is really a call to life with God. It's a call to life with God. Um, but you know, there's there's these there's modern ideas that that lead to to these barriers um, of repentance. I came across a prayer years ago. This was a modern prayer of confession. So it kind of reflects these modern views, and it goes something like this: Benevolent and easygoing Father, we have occasionally been guilty of errors of judgment. We have lived under deprivations of heredity and the disadvantages of the environment. We have done the best we could in the circumstances. Do thou, O Lord, deal lightly with our infrequent lapses. <laughs> A modern confession. So, you know, you have this, these ideas in the culture that excuse or minimize or do away with the notion of sin. And then you have our own sinful, prideful hearts. And again, it's hard to hear this call to repent. But you, you see, all throughout the Bible, God calls people to repent because it's a call back to Him. It's a call to live under His gracious and good rule and His reign. And we see this at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. God sends John the Baptist to prepare the way for Christ, the King. Repentance prepares the way for us to, to enter into the kingdom. And so you see that here. John the Baptist is like a herald who is preparing, uh, he's announcing the coming of the King and he's preparing the way of the King. He is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophets that uh, Mark quotes here at the beginning of his Gospel about the coming of a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord, a voice in the wilderness. And then Mark makes it very clear that John the Baptist came in the wilderness. And how did he prepare the way? Well, he prepared the way for people to meet Christ, to come into the kingdom of Christ, 
by this message of repentance. You see that in verse 4, don't you? John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, it's interesting because um, John did not invent baptism. Baptism was apparently happening in some circles within Judaism at this time. But oftentimes it was practiced as a way for Gentiles, non-Jews, to come into the Jewish community. They had to go through a ritual purification, a kind of baptism. But here is John, a Jewish prophet, saying to his fellow Jews, it's not just the Gentiles who need to repent and experience a cleansing. You too need to repent and receive forgiveness. John's baptism was a baptism, it says, of repentance. Now, let's stop and ask ourselves, what does that mean? The, the word that's translated here, repentance, is a Greek word. It means to change your mind or to change your way of thinking. There's two words in the New Testament on repentance. One is this word, and it's the most prominent here. Uh, change of mind, change of thinking. There's another word that's used. It's more like a kind of a regret, a sense of sorrow for sin. But they're, they're, they're correlated. But here the idea is that Repentance is a change of mind, a change of thinking that leads to a, a new way of life. It involves our, our thought life, it involves what we want to do, and it involves our actions. So repentance is this change of thinking. And what John was trying to get his fellow uh, Jewish brothers and sisters to understand is that it was not enough for them, and he says this in Matthew's Gospel, you don't have it here in Mark, but in Matthew we get a little more of a snapshot of what John was preaching. But he says, it's not enough for you to say we have Abraham as our father. In other words, it's not enough for you to think that you're right with God just by virtue of how you were born into this world and you're a descendant of Abraham. That gives you privileges, yes. But you need to make sure that you personally are right with God. And so it's not enough. You're not automatically right with God because your sin separates you from God. And and that's true with all of us. We are not automatically born right with God. There's something that has to happen. And God makes this way through repentance for us to live our life in relationship with him. And so repentance is a change of mind. Uh, that I need to be right with God. And we say in our confession every, every Sunday that we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for our sins. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent of our sins. Now that, that's getting to the, uh, the core of this idea of repentance. It's, it's being sorrowful for sin and it's being humble in the presence of a holy God because of our sin. Now, I have to confess that when I say that every Sunday, I don't always feel truly sorry and humble in the presence of God when I say that every Sunday. There are some Sundays I do, and some Sundays I just say the words. I'm making, I guess, a confession here about that. 
But sometimes we, we, we pray better than what we feel, and these prayers are a good guide for us. See, this is what we should be aiming for. And this is the work of grace in our lives when we truly feel sorry for sin and we humble ourselves in the presence of God. And that's the change. You see, repentance is a change of thinking. That is the change that has to happen in our hearts and minds. The change is from saying, I don't think I'm really that bad compared to other people. Relatively speaking, I'm not that bad. Um, to genuine sorrow for sin. Um, the, the change has to be from pride to humility, from this, this mindset that, you know what, I'm a pretty good person, and if God does exist, I'm sure he's going to accept me because I'm a pretty good person. A change has to take place, you see. And that's why uh, John the Baptist says, repent. You're not automatically okay with God. You're not automatically right with God. You must do something. Jesus came into Galilee a little bit later on in Mark 1. It says, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So here we have John the Baptist. Repent. Here we have Jesus. Repent. Then we look at the uh, apostolic message in the book of Acts, and they're preaching. And what do they call people to do? Repent. The first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon of the Christian church, Paul calls on the crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In our epistle reading from the Apostle Peter, we hear it again. It is, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. And there's an alternative here, isn't there? There's repentance and there's perishing. Perishing meaning life without God, now and forever. That's a perishing state. God's not willing that anyone, anyone here in this room, should perish, experience life without God now and forever but rather that you turn to him in repentance and faith. I, I was reading just this week a testimony of a lady. She, in this uh, testimony, this is from the latest Christianity Today magazine, and uh, this lady is a lecturer of mathematics in South Africa, and uh, she says, I was an arrogant skeptic when I embarked on a long journey and study of world religions and she talks about her spiritual journey and she's searching for truth and it's a wonderful thing when people start to search for truth really search for truth because Jesus will meet you there he is the way the truth and the life so she's on this search and um, she's investigating other religions and it talks about how she finally began to investigate the Scriptures, investigate the New Testament. Again, she's got a mathematical mind. She's skeptical. But things are beginning to shift in her thinking as she encounters the Jesus of the New Testament. And then she finally gets to this place in her life where she's dealing with her anger issues. She talks about how she exploded one time at a neighbor's kid 
And she's like, what's wrong with me? I can't control my anger. I can't control my emotions. And she gets to this place, she says, where she realized that the Christian concept of sin was not just something abstract, but it was something that was happening in her heart. This painful realization, she says, of my own sinfulness. It wasn't any one moral failing that awakened the voice of conscience. Only a broad awareness of all my plans and actions that they have been primarily aimed at, listen to this, because this is part of the essence of sin. She says, all my plans and actions have been aimed primarily at satisfying my desires. Life was about me. And then she said, suddenly, the biblical claim that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God was more than just an intellectual idea. I fell to my knees in shame and repentance. And God met her there and forgave her. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. This is how we enter into fellowship with God, into the kingdom of God. It's this attitude of, yes, I need what you can give me. <laughs> Otherwise, there's a resistance to God. Jesus said in Luke 18 that it was the, it was the tax collector this notorious sinner who came in the presence of God and he would not even look to God, but he humbled himself, beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But then there was the Pharisee who was very religious, who had all kinds of devotional practices and religious habits that would probably put most of us in this room to shame. But he thought he was better than other people. He trusted in his own righteousness and then had contempt for others. And Jesus says, who was it in their prayer that went away justified before God? It was the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this is how we... We are right with God. This is the teaching that Jesus gives us. And I, I wonder if you've had that change of mind in your life. I wonder if you know anything about this kind of sorrow for sin and this humility before God. And if you don't know that, if you've not experienced that, you can even today ask God for this. Ask God for the gift of repentance because it's the way to Him. Ask Him for this sorrow, this humility, and find His forgiveness. And if you've had this grace of repentance, and many of us could testify to this, if we've had this repentance, if we have had this sense of a sorrow for sin and humility before a holy God, then we can thank God for that miracle. We can thank God that that's a miracle of grace because naturally we are not disposed to admitting we're sinners who need forgiveness. Thank God for the gift of repentance. It's how we prepare to meet Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead. Now, it says that John proclaimed a baptism of repentance for what? For what reason? For the forgiveness of sins. You see, John's Baptism of repentance, it prepared the way for those who were repentant to receive the forgiveness of sins that was coming through Christ Jesus. It wasn't the baptism in and of itself 
that forgave them of the sin. It was the grace of God that was coming through Jesus Christ, and it was through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that would pay for the forgiveness of sins. That's why John says in another gospel, when he looks at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how the forgiveness of sins happens through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Other religions teach people to repent. Other faiths talk about the mercy of God. Uh, Islam, for example, talks about how Allah is merciful and calls people to repentance. But there's a difference. In Islam, you can never be sure if you are completely forgiven. You can never be sure if you've if you've done enough, if you've repented enough to face the judgment of God. And I'm not just saying this as a Christian. You can, you can Google this. Just look up the Islamic doctrine of forgiveness, which I did this week to make sure. But they, they say, you, you, you do not know, you're not guaranteed that you have been completely forgiven as you come to face the judgment of Allah. You can hope in the mercy of Allah, but you can't know. Why? Because the sacrifice hasn't been paid. There's no sacrifice. We believe in a full, perfect, and complete sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Paid by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we can have confidence, friends, that we are forgiven. And so there might be people here today who... You know, sometimes we need to hear the message that you're a, you, you are a sinner. You need the, the mercy of God. And then sometimes there are people who are like, I know that I'm a sinner. That's not my issue. I have a hard time believing that God actually loves me. And God actually forgives me. I'm well aware of how I've fallen short. Well, friends, I want to tell you, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who has died for you, that proves to you that God loves you and his sacrifice is perfect to cover every single one of our sins. And so we can have this assurance and peace and I hope you have it today that you can be reconciled to God when you put your faith in him. It's repentance and faith in Christ that brings us into the kingdom. Repentance is not a work that we do to save ourselves. Repentance is admitting that I can't save myself and I need the mercy of God and finding that mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, this is how we come into the kingdom of God. It's how a holy God has made a way for us who are sinners to be right with him. It's a message we must remind ourselves of and we do in this liturgy, our Anglican reformers were very keen to remind people of the forgiveness and mercy of God that comes through repentance and faith. It's, it's all throughout our liturgy, isn't it? We need to remind ourselves of this. We need to come Sunday and remind ourselves of this. We need to teach it to our children. We need to teach it to our grandchildren. We need to pray for people who don't know this, that God would soften their heart. And we don't need to be ashamed of this gospel, even though it's an unpopular, it can be an unpopular message.
So this is the entryway into the kingdom, but it's not just that. It's not just the entryway to becoming a, 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 a Christian, but it's, it's part of being a Christian. The life of repentance is part of being a Christian. Uh, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, doesn't he, that we are to ask for forgiveness. We're to ask daily for daily bread. And regularly we're to ask for forgiveness because we sin regularly. And, and it's not that we are justified or saved or made right with God through our repentance. We're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. But um, we don't, we, I want to be clear here, we, we don't lose our salvation if we don't practice perfect repentance because Jesus' sacrifice covers our past sins our present sins, and our future sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. 1. Good news, right? Our past, our present, and our future sins, covered by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But friends, here's the truth. We will not be happy Christians if we let unconfessed sin build up in our life. We will not be happy Christians if we know that we are walking contrary to what God has for us. This will create a sense of distance between us and God. It's like when you get into a fight with your spouse or a friend or somebody in the church and there's a rift there. And you know it's uncomfortable and there's this rift there. And, and, and until there's a reconciliation, it's not going to get any better. And that's how it is when we let unconfessed sin build up in our life. And we are walking contrary to what we know God has for us. Confession is the way back. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit, in, 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 in the context there is Paul's talking about walking in darkness, walking in an old way of life when God has saved you for a new way of life. Do not do that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Repentance is the way back. Confession. It's in our liturgy, isn't it? If we say we have no sin, what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Here in Mark, John says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower us for witness and service for Christ. But the work that Christ has given us to do can be hindered. It can be hindered if we do not surrender to Christ and his word. And if we let these unconfessed sins build up in our lives. All of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to John the Baptist, it says, and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. I wonder if you and I had been there, would we have gotten into the river? Would, would you, if John the Baptist were to appear today, there's not a river here. There's a creek down there, but that's not enough water for 
But what if John the Baptist were here today and said, you know, I, if I want you to come forward and confess sin. Would you, would you join that movement? Would I join that movement? Would I be willing to say, here's, here's what I've done? Would we confess sin? I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've committed adultery in my heart. I've coveted my neighbor's goods. Here's, here's what I'm dealing with now. I need forgiveness. Would we have gotten in the river? Would we have confessed? These are the barriers. These are the things that I know are not pleasing to God. But I want the forgiveness and I want the new life. See, forgiveness and, and this repentance is about the past, yes, but it opens up a new future. It opens up new possibilities. It opens up a life in the kingdom. More life. So, here's a kind of a takeaway for us, and I know I'm going a little bit long, so I'm about ready to wrap it up, friends. I am. But how we might practice this during this season of Lent is we might take this confession that we pray every Sunday and uh, use it to examine our own conscience before God. Uh, we can say before God, Lord, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And then we can talk, we can, we can think about what we have been thinking about saying and doing, the things that we've done, the things that we've left undone. We, we, can, we can talk to God about how we are not loving Him with all that we are and not loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we can let the Holy Spirit begin to engage with us on these things so that we can receive fresh forgiveness and new life. I was reading this Advent season, I've been dipping into Pope Benedict's book on hope. Is it okay for Anglicans to read the Pope? Not this Pope, but the earlier Pope. <laughs> so I was reading Benedict's book on hope. And he talks about how prayer is a school of hope. And he says, he quotes Augustine, and Augustine has this line where he says, you know, God wants to pour his honey into your vessel, the human heart. But there's vinegar there. So how is God going to get the honey, which is his goodness, his sweetness, the sweetness of his presence? How's he going to get that into your heart? He says that, Augustine says, it's through confession that the vinegar is removed. The heart is enlarged and the honey gets poured in. More of God. More of his presence, more of his love, more of an awareness of who he is. And then Benedict says this, I am responsible to recognize the evil in me for what it is. My encounter with God awakens my conscience in such a way that it no longer aims at self-justification. I'm responsible to see this in myself. And when I pray, my consciousness is awakened to that. And I'm no longer battling self-justification, but I'm looking for mercy. And through the prayer of confession, I am more open to God and able to serve others. And this is what God is calling us to during this season of Advent. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you give us a fresh repentance. Call us into this. Thank you, God, for those of us who've experienced this and the life that it gives us.
I pray for those who are here who maybe have not experienced, who are thinking about these things, wondering about these things, if they're true. By your Holy Spirit, you will lead them to a place of, of humility before you, trusting in your mercy and the sacrifice you made for their sins. And they could walk in this new, newness of life, life in your kingdom. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand.